0: take your Bibles and open to First Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Begin reading in verse 12. First Thessalonians chapter 5 we'll begin reading in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to uh, hear from you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be uh, good listeners, listeners who are paying attention to you, to your word. And Father, I pray that we would be doers of your word as we listen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Living healthy is really popular today. You can do a quick Google search, internet search, and find a lot of different ways in which you can live healthy. It's a big thing. People talk about it. People want to be healthy, and they do different things to help them to live healthy. And there's good steps that you can take, that we can take to be healthy, and those are valuable. Those are Good for us. You might read in your searching about certain foods you should eat to be healthy and certain foods you should stay away from in order to live healthier. You might read about how often you should eat and when you should stop eating in a day so that you can get good sleep and the rest your body needs. You might uh, read about uh, good exercise plans ways in which you can get active and do different things you may as you read be motivated to join a gym especially around the new year you might be motivated to join a gym uh, to for the purpose of becoming healthier many people in our world today focus a lot on personal health They spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy to be a healthier person. And for many people, that's very valuable to take care of the physical body that God has given to us. But the question I have to ask is, is physical health the only health that we should be focused on? Is physical health the only health that we should be focused on? Well, you'd say, well, duh. We're Christians. We know it's not. And I would agree with you. You're right. It's not. But the health we're going to talk about this morning is maybe not what many of us think about. The health that we see this morning is a health of a church. What about the health of our church? If God were to give our church a physical to determine how we are doing as a church, how the health of our church is, what might God what might be his report of our church be Many people in recent years have begun to talk about the health of churches and what a church can do to correct unhealthy patterns or habits and those are those are good and many of those are helpful suggestions but we want to think about what does God say? What does God's word say for us? about being a healthy church? How does he describe it? And so from 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, verses 12 through 15, we're going to see that a healthy church invests in one another. A healthy church invests in one another. That's our big idea this morning, that a healthy church invests in one another. But you might ask, how? How does a healthy church invest in one another? And a healthy church invests in one another by taking two simple but very profound action steps that we find in these four verses. I say simple because as we read through this, it is simple. It's not complicated, but it's profound because of the impact that it can have in our church and in our individual lives. So first, in verses 12 through 13, a healthy church invests in one another by lovingly respecting its elders, its leaders. A healthy church invests in one another by lovingly respecting its elders' leaders. We cannot call ourselves a healthy church if we do not lovingly respect our leaders. Lovingly respecting our leaders is how we invest in our leaders. Paul is writing to his friends in Thessalonica, this church in Thessalonica. He was there at the beginning of this church. He probably led some of them to Christ if not all of them but he only stayed there briefly and unlike the letters that he wrote to Timothy and to Titus we don't know how Paul helped this church establish leaders pastors we just don't have that information but what we do have from verses 12 and 13 is that they did have spiritual leaders they did have pastors And we know that, and he encourages them that they are to lovingly respect their pastors. And the respect that Paul is encouraging them toward doesn't come from a position that a person holds or a title that a person holds, but rather from their work, their labor. Verse 12 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you, and lead you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. A few different times in these verses, we see work or labor. The respect and recognition that is, the, is to be given flows from the work. The loving respect the church was to give their pastors was an outflow of the work that they experienced, the work that they saw and in order for this for them to know this work they had to know their pastors they had to know the work that their pastors were doing and they had to be a part of that work god's people in a local church should give honor to their pastors for the work that they do if we do not if we do not we run the risk of developing unhealthy patterns in our corporate lives there's no trust There's no willingness to follow. We're vulnerable for pursuing our own glory rather than the glory of God, which the church should be ultimately about. We don't know how these pastors in Thessalonica became pastors. We don't know how they were selected. But we do know that God has called these pastors to shepherd the souls of this local body of believers. Which alone, the fact that God called them to do this, ought to have been enough for the believers there to lovingly respect their pastors. The fact that God calls men to be his shepherds of his people, of his sheep, as we've heard about already this morning, ought to be enough for us as a church to respect in a loving way our pastors. God has called these pastors to shepherd the souls of, the, of these people. And they should, they should, in return, lovingly respect them as they follow, as they listen. And Paul points in verse 12 to three ways in which faithful pastors should invest in God's people. Which is the reason why we lovingly respect our pastors is because of their work. It's kind of a circle. Faithful pastors do these things, and because they do these things, faithful church members will lovingly respect their pastors. In verse 12, he says, Those who labor among you. Pastors labor among us. Paul states that a pastor is one who works among the church. He is actively doing things. The the work of a pastor is in and among the church. Pastors labor, they work hard, they strive for the spiritual benefit of those that God has given to them to care for. Every individual member and all members together are the labor in which the pastor is to strive for. It's work, it's effort, sometimes it's sweaty effort to care for the souls of people. Sometimes it's prayer that is in tears. Sometimes it's prayers and tears of joy, and sometimes it's tears of sadness. Sometimes it's difficult conversations that have to be thought through, that have to be planned, that have to be prepared for. Sometimes it's the labor over difficult texts that we struggle to understand. A pastor's labor is in and among the church for the church's benefit, so that the church will be holy and blameless before God. Paul is trying to communicate that pastors are straining with all their effort to help believers to know and love God above all else. And how that takes shape will vary from pastor to pastor and from church to church. But the point that Paul is making is that pastors are at work. And it may be that you don't see that, that the Thessalonians didn't see that. But it didn't change the fact that pastors were at work. The point is that as a church, we should lovingly respect our pastors for the sweaty spiritual work that they do on our behalf. And I know sweaty spiritual work is a weird phrase, and it might make you smile. But if you talk to a pastor, you know that it's difficult, and sometimes it takes a lot of effort And I don't think sweaty is a bad descriptor of the effort that it ought to take a pastor and takes our pastors. And so the point that Paul is making is that we should lovingly respect our pastors for the sweaty spiritual work they do on your behalf. There is work that you do not know that is being made for you by your pastors. Next, Paul says pastors lead you. He says, those who lead you in the Lord. Paul states that a pastor is a leader of people. A pastor is not only one who works hard, but a pastor is one who leads people. Churches that don't have pastors that lead are not healthy churches. Churches that are led by groups within the church are not healthy churches. Pastors lead us in the Lord, an important phrase when it comes to leading. It's in the Lord. For someone to lead, they must have followers, right? If I tell you I'm going to, to Council Bluffs and I want you all to come with me, am I a leader? Only if you follow me. Only if you say, okay, I'm going to go and follow Pastor Dan. Am I a leader? So for our pastors to lead well, we individually and corporately must be willing to follow as we believe they are faithfully following the word of God. In reality, what Paul is asking them is they must be willing to submit to the leadership of their pastors. But where are we being led by our pastors? Where are the pastors of the Thessalonian church leading them? It's a good question a pastor who leads well is leading God's people to God's desired result for the church God wants all truly converted people to grow in holiness that's what God wants of his people of his church and faithful pastors are pastors who lead us in that direction And again, how that takes shape, how that looks, is going to vary from pastor to pastor and from church to church. But that's the point. Pastors care for souls and lead souls to draw close to God. There is an aspect of protection in this leading. We need protection, just like sheep need protection. Sheep aren't the smartest animal, okay? They're just rather unintelligent. And if you've ever had sheep, you know that. But sheep are not intelligent animals. And I find it interesting that, that God, in his word, describes his people as sheep. Now, you might think that's not very kind, that God thinks I'm foolish like a sheep. But if you look at your own heart, you know very well that you have sheep-like tendencies, to go your own way, to do your own thing, to live for your own passions. We need the protection and leadership that our pastors give. Protection from false gospels that lead to false hopes. We need protection from our own hearts that want to lead us astray. We need to be continually reminded of the truth of God's word. We need, you need pastoral leadership. And third, Paul says, pastors admonish you. Past, or Paul states that pa- a pastor is to admonish the church he leads. Now, admonishing is something that we all have a natural allergy toward. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody wants to be told they're doing something wrong and they need to turn around and change. None of us like that. We all have a, a repulsiveness to that. It's, uh, as a pastor cares for the souls of the church that God has entrusted him with, he must, at times, admonish their souls. There may be times where your pastor needs to admonish you, needs to correct you because you are choosing to go after sin, or prioritize things that are not God and God-honoring. We need a pastor's correction when we are choosing to believe false teachings or false gospels in our lives. These are the reasons that God gives. It's based on this, these three things, the labor, the leading, and the admonishing, that Paul says that it's based on this self-sacrificing work that we are to lovingly, hold high our pastors. In verse 13, he says, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. There ought to be an element where we hold our pastors high for their faithfulness in the work that God's called them to do. Your pastors are daily striving with the energy that God gives to care for your soul. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your pastors are daily striving to care for your souls? You need to believe that this is true. And as you believe it, love your pastors. Acknowledge to God and to them that you love them for their effort. Express your thankfulness. Express your love to God for their energy that they're expelling on your soul's behalf. Let me ask you this. Have you grown since you've been a Christian? And you might say, duh, of course. I can see evidence of my growth. Have you been a faithful attender to a church? Maybe not this one your whole life. You've had pastors who have sought to faithfully, consistently teach the Word of God to you. Your growth is ultimately God's working through the Holy Spirit and through His Word in your life. But pastors play a big role in that. You need to believe that your pastors are working for your soul's good. Our love for our pastors will show itself as the end of verse 13 says, in our quest for peace among ourselves. It seems maybe out of place to say, be at peace among yourselves, just following what Paul has just said. I don't think so. What better way can we love, lovingly respect our pastors than to actively pursue peace among ourselves? If we are doing that, where do Where does the pastor then need to come alongside and admonish us? Where do we need to be corrected? If we're we're doing that, we will find peace. A healthy church invests in one another by lovingly respecting our pastors. So ask yourself this question. Is God glorified in how I respect my pastors? Not whether you think you're doing it right. Not whether I think you're doing it right. Not whether Pastor Chad thinks you're doing it right. Not whether your spouse or someone next to you thinks you're doing it. But ask yourself, is God glorified? Is he honored? Is he lifted high by how I respect my pastors? You know, the truth is that God has graciously given you, his church, pastors, to care for your souls. Does that not amaze you? The reality that you, God's child, have been given pastors to shepherd and care for your souls. God cares about you, individual, in this room this morning. And he loves you he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And in his love and grace, he said they need a shepherd who can be with them, who can care for them. And God has done this. Does this not drive you to worship God? Does it not cause us to say, God, you are awesome. You knew that I needed a shepherd and you gave me just that. God is so amazing that he chose to give you pastors for the purpose of of your souls being shepherded. Second, in verses 14 through 15, we see a healthy church invests in one another by actively helping others to grow. A healthy church invests in one another by actively helping others to grow. We cannot call ourselves a healthy church if we are not actively involved in the spiritual growth of each other. Some may look at verses 14 and 15 and say, well, I don't have to do that. That's what Paul just told the pastors to do in verses 12 and 13. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. It says, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Check, that's my pastor's job, I'm done for the day. We could think that way, couldn't we? Because some of those things sound vaguely familiar to what Paul just said in verses 12 through 13. But the truth is that we must be actively involved in the spiritual growth of one another. It's not just our pastor's job. Yes. Absolutely. As Paul says in verses 12 through 13, it is absolutely true that the care of souls is the pastor's responsibility and job. That is totally accurate. But according to verses 13, uh, 14 and 15, it's also your job, it's also your responsibility. It is absolutely the responsibility of every church member to be invested in the lives of their fellow church members. If we neglect this vital ministry, we are disobedient to God. And therefore, we are living in sin and are an unhealthy church. If we are not invested in each other on a deeper level than just talking about the weather, talking about family, if we are not invested in the spiritual lives of each other, We are disobedient to God and living in sin and are not a healthy church. So, who is responsible for the spiritual growth of the person sitting next to you in the pew? Or in front of you? Or behind you? According to verses 14 through 15, it is you. It is your ministry to invest in each other and to help them grow spiritually. We cannot actively help others to grow spiritually if we don't know them. We can't invest in one another if we don't know each other. We must get to know each other in a deeper way than merely surface-level information. We can do this by asking good, open-ended questions. And by open-ended questions, I mean not yes-no answered questions. Asking good questions of the people that we sit next to as we enter church, as we exit church, as we go through our week is incredibly helpful for the growth and health of our church. Paul says this one and other ministry is needed because there are different types of members within the church. He gives in verse 13, or 14 a list of different members within a church and how to help them to grow. This is not an exhaustive list, and you might not find yourself fitting into this list and that's okay. It's not the point to have a list. The point is to see ways in which we can minister to one another. He begins in verse 14 by saying, "Warn those who are idle." Paul says, the church members who need, Paul says, there are church members who need to be warned, about their idleness, not as in an idol that they worship, but in idleness as in they're not doing anything. The word warn here in verse 14, something really interesting for you, is the exact same word that Paul used in verse 12 when he says pastors are to admonish you. Admonish and warn are the exact same word. We have the same job. You have the same job as your pastor. To warn those who are idle. Specifically in this context, in verse 14, it's those who are idle. Warn and admonish is the same word. And our task is to warn and admonish those in love who are idle. The idle people are those who are living lives dependent upon this particular church. There were people who believed that Jesus was coming today, and because Jesus was coming today, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to work because Jesus is coming. And they were dependent upon the church. If you don't believe me, go to 2 Thessalonians, not now, but go look later at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He addresses this very clearly that there's people within this church who are living in this way. He tells them that they are idle. And they're foolish. They refused to work and instead lived off of others. How many of us do that spiritually? We don't spend time daily studying and knowing God and his word. But we come to church and feed off of the spiritual growth of others who teach us the word of God. There are people around you who need to be encouraged, need to be warned about their spiritual idleness. They need to be warned that they are not living in a way that brings God glory and honor, and it harms the church. It is the spiritual responsibility of every believer within a local church to seek to warn and admonish those who are living lives which don't reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I ask, how are you doing in warning the idol? Paul goes on in verse 14 to say, comfort the discouraged. Paul says that we all should comfort the discouraged. We don't know in this context what the cause of discouragement might have been. It's possible that it could be been the death of those that they loved looking back at verse chapter 4 verses 13 through chapter 5 verse 11 it could have been that is the cause of their discouragement it could have been the cause of having to be having to work hard to care for the people who were idle it could be suffering in some other way we don't know but we do know that paul identifies the fact that there are discouraged members of this church they need encouragement they need to be comforted. Their discouragement may have been as basic as just fears and worry that they battle, and they're discouraged with. This group of people is different from the idol. The idol people, in, in, just a minute ago, they needed admonished, corrected, but here, the discouraged need encouragement. This isn't a strong admonition but it's a loving care that they need. We can become discouraged by almost anything. It doesn't take much for us to be discouraged. But when's the last time you opened yourself up and shared your discouragement with a fellow church member? All members of a local church are valuable And worthy of our encouragement and sometimes it takes great trust to open our souls to people but that's what a church family's for we're the family of god we're brothers and sisters in christ paul goes on and he says help the weak and as with the discouraged, we don't know why they were weak. We don't know why they were discouraged. There could be lots of different reasons. People are identified as weak for many reasons. Physically weak, spiritually weak, financially weak. There could be lots of different reasons for why they're weak. But he says help the weak. For some reason, they were weak and needed help. It's the responsibility of us, the church family, to help those who are weak. Whether that's spiritual Weakness, financial weakness, physical weakness, whatever it might be. And if you are that weak person, let me encourage you to not be so prideful to not accept the help when it's offered. Far too many people in churches think, I don't need help. I've done things for so long that I can just do it myself. Well, we need help. Spiritual help, physical help other kinds of help. We need help. He says, kind of at the end, be patient with everyone. I think Paul says this as an overarching feature to all ministry, to fellow members. Be patient. Be patient. Your effort is going to take time. When you admonish when you warn the idol when you comfort the discouraged when you help the weak you need to know it's not going to be a quick fix most likely it's going to take time it's going to take energy it's going to take effort be patient with everyone patience is necessary when we invest in one another because the end goal of holiness is a slow process and guess what you're never going to see that completed until that person's with jesus So you have, as a fellow church member, a never-ending job. Paul is making it crystal clear what the ministry of every church member should be. This, what he's talking about, needs to be primary in our lives as church members. Not, well, I serve in children's ministry or youth ministry or music or whatever. But your ministry is people ministry, one another ministry. We are to actively help our fellow church members to grow in Jesus. And in verse 15, Paul adds that we should seek to eliminate retaliation from the church. Retaliation is not compatible with the gospel or God's child. He says in verse 15, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. And the context of this evil for evil is within the congregation, within the body of believers. And you might think, well, that's just terrible. How could they have a church who's returning evil for evil within their church? We're sinners. We do it. We do it sometimes very carefully and thoughtfully but we retaliate but because it's not compatible with the gospel who we are in jesus we should be on the lookout for those who are tempted toward repaying evil for evil whether that's a physical evil or a verbal evil and may i even say electronic evil through social media instead of chasing after retaliation we should choose rather to chase after doing good for one another. That's what he says there in verse 15. He says, "See to it that see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all." We should chase after doing good for one another and for everyone. What is the good? That we should be chasing after? What is the good, the helpful for the person sitting near you this morning? A healthy church invests in one another by actively helping each other grow spiritually. So I ask you this question Who are you intentionally helping to grow spiritually? Who are you intentionally helping to grow spiritually? As I said earlier, it's not just the pastor's job alone to care for the souls of our church. It is a whole church responsibility. So I ask you again, who are you intentionally helping to grow spiritually? I just want you to pause for a moment and think about something with me. Think about the reality that every member of our church is to actively help other members to grow spiritually just think about that that this is a member on member ministry who thinks about that who come who came up with that other than god it's a member on member growth process it's incredible that God would do this. God is so awesome that in his plan and design and purpose for his church is that we would function by one anothering each other, by loving each other and helping each other to grow. God is awesome. God's designed our church so that we will grow together as we invest in one another. That's awesome. As I said earlier, our big idea from these verses is that a healthy church invests in one another. We can look at many things to evaluate whether or not we're a healthy church, and there might be some value to looking at those things. But the truth is that if we are not invested in one another, in our pastors and our fellow church members, we are not a healthy church. We're not. It doesn't matter what we do in other places. It is both the pastors and all church members, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but pastors are members of this church as well, just like you. And it's both the pastors and all church members' role and responsibility to invest purposefully in one another. So we must ask ourselves some questions as we think about that a healthy church invests in one another. How are we doing at lovingly respecting our pastors? Do we adore God because he sovereignly, graciously has given Grace Baptist Church pastors to shepherd our souls? Do we love God because he has saw fit to provide a shepherd for you? When your pastors labor, lead, and admonish you, do you bristle? Or do you rejoice in God and lovingly submit? What's your response? Because when you bristle and you don't lovingly respect your pastors, you're not actually doing that to them. You're saying that God doesn't know what you need. I don't know about you, but I doubt any of us would be so bold to just go to God and say, God, you don't know what you're doing. But by our actions and our words, we say that very thing. Also, we must ask ourselves, how are we doing at actively helping others in our church to grow spiritually? And I don't mean that by you as maybe a teacher teaching that that's investing in one another. No, I mean one-on-one investing in another person outside of a teaching or leading responsibility. Do you think about helping another member take their next step in their walk with God? I don't care how old you are. You can do this. You can be a young child here today and help another child love God. You can be the oldest person in this room and still help another person love God. We just saw that last week, did we not? Stan, I'm sorry to pick on you in the service, but I applaud you for going to junior boys camp and spending a week with uh, some energetic boys. But that's just what Stan did. He invested in those boys. And I'm sure he was tired when he came home. Most all of us would be. But are we looking to help others in our church take that next step? And their walk with God? Do you share with others how God is at work in your life? When's the last time before or after a church service you said to a fellow church member, hey, I've been reading this in my Bible and God's really encouraged me with it or, or convicted me of this because of my time in God's word. And then said to them, I'd, I'd really enjoy hearing from you what, what God's doing in your life. And maybe they say, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not really reading God's word. Say, hey, I get that. It's hard sometimes. Can I pray with you right now that you'll begin to read God's word this week? You find a place in the church that's quiet and you sit down and you pray. Maybe it's calling up a fellow church member during the week and say, hey, you just popped into my mind. I'm not sure why God did that, but I just want to call you and, and, and say that I love you. And how can I be of help to you? How can I encourage you today? People don't really do this anymore, but send a snail mail letter. How many of you get anything other than bills or junk mail in, in, in the mail in the mailbox? Probably not many of us. Send a snail mail card just saying you're thinking about someone. You're praying for them. It's our ministry to one another. To invest in each other. A healthy church is one that invests in its members, in each other. A healthy church takes their pastors' efforts seriously and loves them for it. A healthy church has members who take the spiritual growth of each member as their personal ministry. So, how can you lovingly respect your pastors today? How can you actively help another member grow spiritually today? And if you say, you know, I really don't know. I really don't know what that's going to look like. I'd encourage you today to take some time this afternoon and just sit down with your Bible in this passage and pray over it. Pray these verses that God would help you to live these verses out in someone's life this week. Maybe you're sitting here and you know, like, I know who it is. I know who's here today who I need to go encourage. I need to admonish. I need to help. Pray now for that time that you do that too because you need God's help in that as well. If you still aren't certain certain as to what God would have you to do, please come talk to Pastor Chad or I. We would love to help you invest in your fellow church members god wants us pastors and church members the whole church to invest in one another let's pray father god thank you for your word father god thank you that in your word we find how we can live for you how we can honor you how we can glorify you and father you want your church here at grace baptist church in harlan to invest in one another Father, I pray that each one of us would set the example of investing in each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.